Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Die. 
Last year, in Fairbanks, Alaska, I was heading south on Auburn Drive towards Farmer's Loop, which was about a mile away. It was a wooded area frequently visited by homes and, in general, considered a populated area. The houses were, on average, about 100 to 200 feet apart, with only the immediate vicinity around the homes cleared out. Most of the area was densely wooded. This section of the road passed by Pearl Creek Elementary School, and you could catch glimpses of the school through the woods. Some parts of the woods in the area were quite thick making it difficult to see beyond about 10 or 15 feet. However, in this particular area, it had seemingly been cleared out quite a bit, allowing for open sight lines into the sections of the woods. You could see the school and a vegetable garden off to the right from the road. It was around 6 p.m., and I was heading home after a day of working on a deck that I was building. The weather was clear, with the sun high in the sky. As I was driving, I happened to notice a man standing by the right side of the road about a hundred yards ahead. It was more of an unconscious recognition, as there was nothing unusual about a man standing on the side of the road in this area. As I got within about 50 yards, I looked closer and said to myself, that's no man. Shortly after that, in a second or two, he bolted into the woods toward the school, moving like a wild animal would when spooked. I didn't slow down until I reached the spot where I had seen him enter the woods, and that's where I stopped. I could see him running away from the road, and when he was about 30 yards into the woods, he turned left, running parallel to the road in the same direction I was heading. I got a good look at him, but I couldn't see his face. I might have seen it if I hadn't been so mesmerized and had the presence of mind to look at it. I was preoccupied with other details. His fur or hair looked to be about 3 to 4 inches long all over the main part of his body. It was a reddish, rusty color, and I was mildly struck by how red it was, but it definitely had a rustiness to it. He was about 6 feet tall and appeared to weigh around 200 pounds. He had a peculiar, hoppy kind of run. It wasn't a limp with one foot, the foot he pushed off with was more pronounced than a normal running motion. The other foot he pushed off with propelled him upward about a foot or less and forward. I watched him until he disappeared into the woods. There was a road about a hundred yards ahead, and I headed towards it, turning right and then right again, leading to the road that led to the school parking lot. The wooded area he was in seemed like a peninsula, so he had to be in there somewhere. The woods I was looking into from that angle were quite thick, and I didn't see him. I haven't seen him since. A little farther up on the right was the school garden, which had people in it around 7 to 10. In hindsight, I regret not stopping to talk to them about it. The next day, as I was driving to work on the deck, I naturally slowed down in the area. I stopped and surveyed the area when I saw a couple walking their dogs approaching. I flagged them down and shared the story of what happened the evening before. They told me that about a week ago, they were there with their dogs, on their way to the other side of the school property by the soccer field when three kids came running over to them, asking, did you see Sasquatch? They also mentioned that what appeared to be a dad was with them, who didn't seem excited about it. In conclusion, whether it was real or not, I can only say that it was either a genuine encounter or a person in an incredibly convincing costume.
I reported it to the Fish and Game Office in Fairbanks a couple of days later. The person taking the report seemed to be somewhat skeptical, but I insisted he take my phone number just in case. I was driving my girlfriend home from work. Both of us lived in a suburb of our small town, so the drive from her workplace is relatively short. The only off thing about our encounter was the fact we saw it in a suburb, as opposed to the wooded or rural areas, like other encounters. The moon was full, so we had a lot of light to see, but there were many mature trees in the yards of the houses surrounding the road we were driving on. All we saw was a large black blur, moving very fast. Almost as fast as a greyhound, at full speed. The length of the blur made me estimate it to be 6 to 7 feet. Both of us were shaken by the experience and headed home immediately. When we got home, my girlfriend and I recanted our experience with her family, who laughed at us for telling them we had seen such a thing. They brushed it off as a tall tale and went on with their nightly activities. My girlfriend's two younger siblings were planning on playing a game called Manhunt. It's pretty much just like hide and seek. When the two of them headed out, not even two minutes after they walked out the door, they both bolted in, clearly upset and shaken. They both said they saw exactly what my girlfriend and I saw, but when they saw it, it was walking on its hind legs, under a street lamp. Because of that, they got a clear view of it. They said it was dog-like and was walking on its hind legs, on the street. After hearing that, we all as a group of witnesses, headed out in my car, to search for the beast and to warn the other kids playing manhunt about the beast. My girlfriend's siblings have stopped playing manhunt after their experience and now that we all have a name to what we saw, we are all more shaken wondering if it will be back. I personally did not see it, but a non-commissioned officer I work with, along with his wife, child, and hunting buddy, were on their way home. According to them, a large, hairy, approximately seven-foot-tall ape-like creature crossed the road in front of them. From what I could gather, none of them are familiar with Bigfoot information. Anyway, they say it crossed the road, which is about 35 feet in width, in four to five steps. It seemed to disappear into the brush on the other side, which leads to a river called the Chenna. Both of the guys have been hunting since childhood and are confident they can recognize a bear when they see one. The creature crossed the road on its hind legs, and as we all agreed, yes, a bear can raise up on its hind legs and even take a few clumsy steps. However, crossing a 35-foot road? No way. They said they even came back later to look for tracks. He wasn't too sure, but he said he found some tracks that didn't look like any tracks he was familiar with. They were pointed inwards, like a person who is what I call pigeon-toed. They heard or saw nothing else but were a bit shaken and headed home. The entire story seemed incredible to me because the incident took place on a military installation. I really don't want to get the guys involved because they fear ridicule. I'd like to tell you about the encounter my son had, maybe four years ago. He told me about it then, but I had no clue. Now we have dog-man encounters and now I know. Here's what happened. 
My son's friend was driving him home, about 11 p.m., through a rural, residential area. The houses are spaced some distance apart. They were on a two-lane highway, with no street lights, and very little traffic. The area is not overly wooded, but has patches of trees and fields. This area would probably be included in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. Anyway, they were driving along, when suddenly, from the right side of the road, this thing sprang out, and was across the road, and into the bushes on the other side, in two leaps, or bounds, or steps, or however you want to say it. It was in full view, because of their headlights. My son said the first thing he thought was dog. He went on to say that it was running on all fours, like a deer. He said it was the color of a deer, with a huge dog head, massive shoulders, and a really small waist. He kept repeating how big it was, so I asked for a comparison. I asked if he meant huge like maybe a big deer or was it maybe as tall as a cow. He answered and I can quote his answer, Mom, this thing was massive. If we had hit it, the car would have gone underneath it and its body would have hit the windshield. I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was about the size and shape of one of those older Sentras. He said that neither he or his friend said anything for about 10 seconds and then his friend yelled did you see that? My son said yes and they didn't say another word the rest of the way. And that's it. It's really creepy to me and I thought other listeners like might to hear about it. This happened in late August of 97 in a side valley of Goldstream Valley, a relatively populated area just north of Fairbanks. Although it's quite close to the Fairbanks area with many houses and roads in the main part of Goldstream, the side valleys are still as wild as they were a thousand years ago. I was hunting ruffed grouse in one of these side valleys, and I prefer not to disclose which one. I was on a south-facing aspen-covered hillside and had been hunting all afternoon and evening, intending to spend the night out on the hill and hunt my way back in the morning. As I was making camp, a black bear almost walked right into me. I heard him coming from a distance and scared him away before he got closer. Later on, it will become apparent why I mentioned this. So, I was sleeping out in the open, without a tent, under a spruce tree. Sometime in the middle of the night, I was awakened by something crawling around my camp, maybe 30 feet or so away from me, walking in the circle I mentioned earlier. The bear I mentioned before wasn't the source of these sounds. My father is a hunting guide, and I literally grew up hunting bears, so I know what a bear sounds like when it's walking. Whatever this thing was, it was walking on two legs with a bit of a shuffling sound between each step, as if it was dragging its feet just a bit. The leaves on the forest floor were dried, like potato chips, and it was breaking a lot of branches. I could hear it and follow its movements quite distinctly. I have to say that I've spent a lot of time here in the Alaskan bush and have never before or since been truly afraid of anything I've encountered. But I don't mind saying that on that particular night, I was literally shaking with fear. It, or whatever it was, circled my camp for what seemed like hours, but it was probably only five or so minutes. Finally, remembering something I once read about Indian beliefs regarding woodsmen, I started talking to it, albeit in a shaky voice, saying I wanted no trouble that night. The thing stopped dead in its tracks, 
and then a few moments later, I heard it trotting downhill away from me. Talking to such a creature may sound kind of cornball, but all I know is that it works. I've kicked myself for this many times since, but the next morning, I didn't bother to look for any tracks, hair, or evidence. I just packed up and resumed my hunting. I had no further trouble with the woodsman. As a final couple of notes, I do recall hearing a kind of low muttering sound as it was prowling around. Also, having since done some reading on Bigfoot sightings, I've noticed that a lot of people reported the animal having a strong, foul odor. However, I did not smell any particular odor, foul or otherwise. Most of the native peoples of Alaska seem to have stories about the woodsman, the bushman, or even the hairy man. Other than this, I've never heard of anyone I know having an actual encounter with a woodsman in Alaska. This incident occurred in June 2019 while I was still living in Nashville, Tennessee. My school had let out and I was staying at a friend which between friends and me I'd drop off my stuff and then wander the neighborhood late at night because I couldn't sleep. Now don't get me wrong I've had plenty of strange things happen to me on my night walks, from the homeless offering me a duck to being followed by a car of drunk guys but this one was different. One night I saw two figures come out of the woods. They looked smaller and younger than me and I was instantly curious. I followed the kids, staying quiet, when suddenly the little girl, she seemed to be younger than the boy, stood in the middle of the road. Of course, I bolt out and tackle her as a car comes, the thing nearly missing both of us. When I looked down the little girl was more annoyed than happy or grateful. What got my attention was the black eyes, it was like starting into a void. I couldn't look away, as soon as I looked into them I felt a rush of fear so strong that it overwhelmed everything. I still don't know how long that it lasted or if anything happened but the next thing I knew the boy was ripping me off the girl with surprising strength. By now I was completely freaked, I couldn't bring myself to check his eyes. Doing what I felt best I literally slipped his grip and took off sprinting. I could hear them running after me, yelling for me to wait, to stop and I don't know why but I almost did. I ended up sprinting through backyards until I couldn't hear them, before going to my friends. She's the one who told me of black-eyed kids. I'm not crazy. I know it really happened. I was rabbit hunting between the hours of 21.30 CDT to about 23.15 CDT on a farm outside of Maud, Oklahoma. It was a clear and cold night with a quarter moon out. I was armed with a pump-action tactical shotgun and a Kimber 5 inches. 45. California pistol along with about 100 rounds of 45 and 45 shotgun rounds. Both weapons are equipped with high-end white lights. Upon returning to my home, at about 2315 CDT, I walked up on my patio which is about 5 feet off the ground. I saw a large human-like figure that was bigger than any man I ever saw. I used the surefire white light on my shotgun to see better. Due to light fog, I could only see about 25 feet with the light. The creature was out in the open enough to see an outline of the figure. I had seen all my animals act unusual prior, a feeling of being watched at hours of darkness more than once. The figure was watching me and made eye contact. 
It was very large and close to 7 to 8 feet tall, was a very stocky build, would guess over 400 pounds. The figure seemed annoyed that I pointed my shotgun at it. It seemed to have no fear of me or my animals. My dog, military trained, cowered down and would not respond to commands. I did contact a Bigfoot team that showed up within 72 hours of this. No evidence was found. No footprints, hair, nothing. I did experience some lapses in memory thereafter. I am a retired Special Forces sniper with 10 years of experience and 3 tours in Iraq, including the Iraq invasion with the 3rd Inf. Division on the front lines. I have no knowledge after all I have seen and done to describe this figure. I do need to be kept out of any public report because of my background and security clearance with the military. I just want answers and will provide full cooperation in person. The biggest thing that bothers me is the lack of fear from the figure and my fear back. I fear very little in life. Just want to get to the bottom of this. Just found your YouTube channel and listen with interest the story on Ben McDewey and the feeling of a spectral being. I had exactly the same on that mountain 23 years ago. I was walking or mountain biking with a friend in Scotland and decided to park at Keok Water and Cycle or climb up to the cairn on Ben McDewey. It was a bright May day when we left on mountain bikes to go to the tops and that point we had no idea that day would leave a lasting impression on me and until I came across your site I thought we were the only ones to have had such an encounter. It took some hours crossing small streams and hillocks before we came to the foothills of Ben McDewey. We cycled and pushed the bikes as far up the mountain as we could. And then decided to leave the bikes and make our way up to the cairn as quickly as possible as it was quite late in the day. We pushed on up in glorious weather it wasn't bright sunlight but it also wasn't murky dismal or really overcast, it was extremely cold but we were wrapped up warm. The views were fantastic. On reaching the cairn we decided to have a small snack to aid our return journey and whilst we sat at the cairn I heard a call and looked over to see a golden eagle performing twists and turns. It was everything you could ever want to see in Scotland beautiful views from the top, and a golden eagle, more than we could ever have wished for. We were ecstatic and on a high. Finishing our snack of Mars bars and bananas we decided to get ready for the hike back to the bikes and the long journey back to the car. It was here that the atmosphere changed and not for the better. From being on high, all of a sudden we'd be aware of a heavy atmosphere that had descended upon us for no disconcerted reason. We turned for home and started to walk and I had the uncanny feeling something was following us, it was a feeling of real dread. I kept looking behind me but there was nothing there. At the same time, I heard footsteps following us, keeping just behind me. We walked a little faster and then I stopped suddenly, and lo and behold there came from nowhere two distinct footsteps that stopped directly behind me. I was too terrified to look as I had an uncanny feeling that whatever was causing this feeling was huge. I cannot explain why I had the mental impression that this entity was a giant. Now this will sound silly but I had the impression of a giant ape-like man. I am not saying Bigfoot, Alma or Sasquatch but that was the impression I was given. At this point, I took off with my friend at a rate of knots that was dangerous to do because of the shale underfoot. 
But we didn't care the faster we ran the more the feeling of dread came over us, as if it was giving chase. It wasn't until we reached the bikes and rode off that the feeling started to dissipate. I was physically shaking and had no wish to ever return to that mountain. Thanks to your sight. I now know after all these years I wasn't going mad, thank goodness. It was 1969, I was on patrol one evening, just before dark in the North II Corp in North Vietnam. We were returning to the hill when we encountered hostile fire, the squad was caught off guard so we used what cover was available. The fight had been going on for only a few minutes when movement caught my eye. Through the thick vegetation, I saw what I thought was a large man breaking cover from behind my left side. As the thing ran past me I realized it wasn't a man, and was not really sure of what I was seeing. The thing was about 7 feet tall and had an enormous build, though not completely covered with hair, the thing had reddish-brown hair covering a good portion of its body. It had covered about 30 yards very quickly passing within just yards of my position, when it got hit in the crossfire. The thing stumbled once or twice but never fell. All of a sudden the enemy broke and ran, one even left his weapon behind, they were yelling something, but none of us ever knew what it was they were yelling. We slowly regrouped and made sure no one was wounded and discussed what we thought we had seen. As it was getting dark and there were hostels in the area, we decided to get back to the hill. That night we heard several howls sounding very similar to the ones that you have recorded, coming from all over the place. Some sounded like they were just outside of the hooch and others sounded more than a mile away. There were all kinds of sounds from whines to growls to sounds that sounded like barks. Needless to say, no one slept very well that night. The next morning, all of us that were on that patrol, decided to try to track this thing. It took a lot of talking to get Tops to let us go looking for it, but after hearing the same story from the whole squad he decided to let us have a chance to bring it back. We returned to the area and found a blood trail, leading into the jungle. We trailed it for quite some time when we found the body of an enemy soldier that had been almost entirely torn apart. We do not know exactly what happened, but I have a good notion to what may have happened. We basically ran out of the area back to our hill. The rest of the time we were in Vietnam, I never heard the sounds or saw anything like it again. The talk of what we had seen spread very quickly, and some of the locals called it a name that I can neither pronounce nor remember but the translation if I recall was stench monkey or foul monkey, something like that. I can't remember for sure. What I do know is that it bothered me so much that I transferred from there, to a job on a helicopter so that I wouldn't have to be in the jungle anymore. After returning home to Alabama when my tour had ended, I occasionally heard sounds that reminded me so much of that encounter. It had been years since I left Alabama and moved to West Central Illinois. I seldom thought of that day in Vietnam or the things I heard and saw. The recording is exactly what I had heard over there, I could close my eyes and still hear the howl in Vietnam. Regrettably, I have mixed feelings about discovering your website, relieved that someone else may now know what I went through, frightened that I that there may be something in the area of where I now live. I realize that you are interested in pursuing this creature or one like it, but let me warn you from someone who has seen what it is capable of firsthand. Don't.
First, I want you to know that the story I'm going to share with you is 100% true. It is based on my account of an event that has significantly impacted the way I view the world around me. As humans, we take comfort in the known, and are often fearful or skeptical of phenomenon or entities that we don't understand. Of course there's many people out there, myself included, who thoroughly enjoy questioning subjects beyond human comprehension, but alas we are a minority, often lumped into a cynical category of conspiracy nut jobs. I'm not writing this story to change what you believe, but rather, to share with you what I now know to be truth. I have followed countless subreddits over the past few years, but this is my first time making an account, specifically for the purpose of posting this story. Disregard the silly account name, my sense of humor will surely be my end of days. For now, let us acquaint ourselves with the eager experience that dwells within me, yearning at its chance to finally be known by unfamiliar souls. I am the oldest of two children, in a family of four. As I write this, my mother and father are both 50, my younger sister, 20, and myself, 23. My father recently retired from 29 years of military service in the U.S. Army. Naturally, as is common in military families, I've seen my fair share of the world. We've been stationed everywhere from Georgia and Italy, to Washington and Texas. Although I was born in Hawaii, and am currently living there again, I always consider Washington State to be the place where I really grew up so to speak. I lived there from 5th grade to 11th grade, years that were crucial in my transition from boy to man. The Pacific Northwest, as stunningly beautiful as any place on earth could possibly be, brought with it, its fair share of curiosities. Many of you might know that the area is particularly famous for UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings. Being the young child that I was upon my arrival, I took an interest in the unknown. Every week I was at the library with my mom, renting books about alien abductions, ghosts, yetis, Bigfoot, UFOs, crop circles, the Bermuda Triangle, demonic possession, and a myriad of other phenomenon that commanded my attention. I include this information because it will be critical to the story later on. I will say for now that for my readings, I was pretty knowledgeable of what Bigfoot evidence consisted of. I had read many stories and reports of the infamous stench they carry, the loud shrieking cries they make, and many other signs of their presence. It is because of this beforehand knowledge that I remember some of the small details of my account. Had I not understood the traits that people have attributed to Bigfoot, many of the small details in my account would probably have slipped through the cracks. Now let us visit the day of the event. That day. That day I have kept quiet of for far too long. I was 13 years old at the time, and in the 7th grade, so that puts us back in the year 2005. The spring season was coming to an end around this time, and in Washington, spring and summer are the only times one gets to enjoy the sun. Throughout fall and winter it's pretty much just heavy rain, day in and day out. Summers were notorious for thunderstorms though, it wasn't uncommon to wake up drenched in sweat and go to bed drenched in rain. Weather patterns in Washington state are the very definition of unpredictable. On this particular summer day, it was Saturday, and my father and I decided to go fishing. We usually go fishing twice a month, and we usually go to the same spot to do so, 
a massive lake surrounded by dense forestry, located only a few miles away from an Indian reservation. It was a beautiful lake and we loved being surrounded by all the trees and wildlife, with no cities or major roads nearby. It made for nice, peaceful bonding experiences with my father. He had just returned from his first 365-day deployment to Iraq, so I was eager to finally spend a day with my old man again. The lake itself was surrounded by forest, with the region to the west running out into the Pacific Ocean or Puget Sound. The region to the north led to the Indian Reservation, to the east was a small town primarily consisting of Native Americans, many of them from the reservation had set up shops in this nearby town. And to the south was the interstate that took you back to, well, civilization. With the exception of the occasional fellow fishermen strolling by, the lake was always desolate and eerily silent. After arriving to our usual fishing hole, and unloading all of the poles, lures, and tackle boxes from the back of the Toyota pickup truck my dad drove, I don't remember the model or year, everything was business as usual. The sun was out, it was about 1 pm, and my father kept sharing stories of his experiences in Iraq while I continued to eagerly beg for more. We casted our lines, exchanged words, chewed some sunflower seeds, spit out the shells, reeled in the lines, and then moved on to a different story before recasting and repeating the whole process. I loved it. It was a ritual, a ritual only he and I fully appreciated the sentimentality of. Minutes turn to hours and before we know it, it's about 5.30 in the evening. We decide to pack it in because nightfall in that part of the state could arrive as early as 6 to 6.30, and we didn't want to be in the forest at night time, primarily because of bears and wolves. Keep in mind however that it is still currently bright out and the sun has only just began to make its descent beyond the mountains. With more than enough daylight to pack up, my father starts reeling in all of the casts and breaking down the poles. I packed up the tackle boxes and lures and threw them into the pickup bed along with the coolers and snacks we had packed. The poles were the only things left to be loaded up, and then we would be ready to leave. I was about to tell my father that I was going to go take a piss real quick and before I could even open my mouth, I caught a whiff of a smell that I can still remember clearly to this day. It was rancid. That's the best way to describe the stench, absolutely rancid. I have never smelled anything so terrible in my life. Do you smell that? I called out. What? Replied my father. I figured it must have just been something blowing through in the breeze. Never mind. It smelled like a wet dog rolled around in its own shit, got hit by a truck, lie dead under a hot sun for two weeks, and then burst into some kind of maggot-infested stench cloud. And that's just putting it politely. The odor stung my eyes. Dad, I'm gonna go pee real quick, I'll be back. He nodded and off I went, into the shrubbery to our usual piss spot. Oftentimes we will just pee anywhere, but because we had seen a few fishermen walk by a couple hours ago, I figured it'd be safer to just go piss in the trees. We usually piss behind this massive fallen tree that's roughly 50 yards into the woods. It's leaned at a perfect angle that provides total obscurity from the lake side. The forest itself is thick enough to probably conceal me without the aid of the fallen tree, 
But somehow pissing behind this tree just became habit during the many visits we have made to this fishing hole in the past. As I'm pissing, the sky was suddenly enveloped in clouds in a matter of seconds. It was bizarre. There was still daylight, but it was more gray and toned down, as opposed to the sunlight you would get with a clear blue sky. It reminded me of a winter day, when the sun's presence seems completely absent. Then everything happened so fast. As I'm zipping up, I hear a tremendously loud crack right behind me, I'd say about 30 yards away based on its reverb. As I'm in the middle of turning around, my face is sprinkled with the light droplets that precede a heavy thunderstorm. I scan the area where I heard the sound but see nothing. My immediate- Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The thought was that it was an old tree branch splitting off, which is common to hear in these woods. CR crack. I hear it again, closer, but from a different direction. I would be a liar if I told you my heart wasn't racing like a mother f at this point. I could easily have just ran back to the fishing hole, but curiosity kept my feet glued. It was like knowing what made that sound was a prerequisite to concluding our fishing trip. After about two minutes of me standing there foolishly, and realizing that I'm getting drenched in the rain that is beginning to pick up, I chalk the noise up to thunder and turn around to head back to my father. Part of me was in denial though. It wasn't a boom sound like thunder, this was a crack, like something big was being snapped in half. I took about three steps in the direction of the fishing hole when I heard the most bone-chilling sound that I have ever heard to this day. Ie ie. It sounded like a cross between a man screaming on top of his lungs, and, well, another man screaming on top of his lungs. I know that might seem silly but that's really how I remember it. It sounded like two men screaming in unison, with slightly different pitches in their voice. I didn't have time to think about where the dreaded noise came from, my ass was in high gear. I remember shortly after that noise from hell, I heard my father shout my name with obvious worry in his voice. I know he heard the sound as well, 
and probably thought it was me screaming, or thought it was an animal or something. As I'm sprinting to the direction of the truck and making every effort to control my body's shaking, adrenaline is a bitch, while jumping over branches and logs and maneuvering between foliage, I suddenly hear crunch 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 crunch. Something is walking through the woods, very close to me. Dad 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 dad. Was all I could manage to get out in between short breaths. And holy shit, I see it. I see it. I see it. While sprinting forward, I see a dark mass in the far left of my field of vision growing. Everything was a blur so I just assumed everything in the corner of my eyes was bushes, trees, etc. And then I realized this isn't an immobile object that's growing, this is something that's coming closer to me, getting bigger as the distance between us closes. Suddenly it hit me that this approaching object was the source of the crunch crunch crunch, so I turned my head to the left and what I saw accelerated me to speeds that I would think are humanly impossible. Approaching me with tremendous speed was an ape-like creature with massive swinging arms. Those I remember the most. The arms were massive and long, almost lanky in the way they dangled, but very muscular. This creature was bipedal as all hell. You know how when you go to the zoo, you see monkeys and gorillas walking around with some assistance of their forearms? Kind of like tromping around on all fours, but occasionally using just two feet before leaning back onto all fours? Yay, not this thing. This creature was full-on striding towards me with its legs, while its arms swang lazily at its sides. My biggest fear was that all it had to do was reach out to grab me because its arms seemed long enough to do that. This thing was so close to me and all I could focus on was going faster and faster and faster. I recall the awful smell being present again. It was in full force, just the worst stench anything on this planet could produce. I was too scared to care, but I definitely remember the smell being heavy. The final details I can recall from my brief glimpse at this demon of the woodlands was that it was easily about 7 to 8 feet tall and matted with thick brown fur. Very long fur too. Its head was conical in shape. It seemed to narrow at the top, but from head to toe, this thing was matted in very long brown hair. I remember seeing bits of leaf and foliage stuck throughout the fur on its body too. I didn't dare try and make out facial details although sometimes I wish I had. I couldn't see much of the face from my distance combined with my constant running, and at the time, I really didn't want to know what the f this thing looked like. Its body gave me more than enough fear for a lifetime. By this point, the rain is coming down heavy and I kept telling myself in my head please don't slip, please don't slip, please don't slip. God. I must have screamed that about a thousand times. I remember making a few attempts to scream but nothing would come out because my throat was very raw and sore from the screaming I was already doing. I also remember thinking why does it feel like he's, my dad, so far away? The walk to the piss spot is a short one and yet I swear I was running full speed for a good few minutes before I made it back. Fear does incredible things to your sense of time and space. As I approach the clearing and can make out the pickup truck, by some incredible grace of parental intuition, my dad pulls some very genius shit. I'm not sure what prompted him to do this, but as I'm approaching the fishing hole, I see him standing by the edge of the wood line, looking for me through the foliage. 
His truck is already on and running, his driver's side door is open, and he's close to it, as if he knew that whatever was happening to me was going to involve a much-needed quick escape. The truck was parked in a way where the driver's side was already facing the wood line I'm running out of, so I like to think we were dealt a good hand on this day. At the very moment we made eye contact, my dad turns around and hauls ass for the driver's seat, but not before shouting jump in the bed. Get in the back, hurry. I should note that this is only a two-seater pickup, so my options were to circle around the truck and get in the passenger door, or to jump in the bed. It's obvious which option is far less time-consuming. Crunch crunch crunch. All I can think about is how happy I'm gonna be to see the interstate again. Crunch thud thud. This thing is still following me and is now out of the woods and running on the dirt. Its footsteps are the only indicator of its presence while my visual focus is purely on what's ahead. I remember quickly eyeballing the best point on the ground to jump from to make it into the pickup bed smoothly. Thud 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 and then another iei. The shriek happened just as I made my leap of faith, and I would even go as far as to say that it terrified me so much in a way that it made my jump even stronger. I jumped like my life depended on it. And no sooner than my body made contact with the bed of the truck, my dad floored it. I shifted violently around as he gunned from 0 to 60 miles per hour. I couldn't feel the vicious bruise my arm had taken when I landed on one of the tackle boxes. I couldn't feel the sharp ringing in my ear from the shriek of defeat the creature emitted. I couldn't feel the sting of the two fishing hooks that burrowed just beneath the skin of my right calf. I didn't care about anything. I only cared about going home. As I gathered myself and braced myself in the bed of the truck, I looked down the rapidly vanishing dirt path we had come from and caught only a glimpse of the creature's back, as it strode back into the dense foliage of the woodline. Rain was pouring down heavily, creating a light film of mist that eventually shrouded the remainder of the creature. Tall, built, hairy, and aggressive. It looked like its head was hung low or its shoulders were slouched. Its posture didn't seem as upright as it was when it was chasing me. Whatever this thing was, it was used to having its way, and today, we didn't grant him that. I remember grinning from ear to ear as we approached the first backroad that lead through the small town to the east, seeing a stop sign has never made me so happy in my life. It was more than just a stop sign. It was a sign of humanity. A sign that civilization was near. During the 30-minute drive to town, one thought kept racing through my mind. That was a friggin' Sasquatch. We stopped at a bait shop in the small Native American town which consisted of a few old wooden shops and some town folk who were bringing things inside and scurrying to cover up their belongings from the rainfall. We asked the owner of the shop if he had any band-aids and a sink we could use, since my leg was bleeding pretty heavily from the fish hooks. He looked like he was in his mid-thirties, very smooth complexion, dark brown skin and a long black ponytail running down his back. He was more than happy to help us after he saw my leg. He went into the back office and returned with a wet washcloth and some gauze, and was accompanied by an older man who looked like he was in his sixties, with brown wrinkled skin, and long gray hair, also in a ponytail. We explained the story to them while the older man was inspecting my wound, and after he removed the hooks and cleaned up the cut, he wrapped my leg firmly with gauze. 
Then the younger man spoke to us about how he has heard similar stories from that lake before about a large hairy creature who lurks in the woods. None of the people in town or from the reservation ever go near the lake, according to him. It's considered cursed grounds, and he explained to us some native ancestors who were buried there for various atrocities. I don't fully remember every fine detail he told us, but he definitely said that's an area that people avoid, which would explain why it seems like nobody is ever there. He said oftentimes, fishermen will come back from the lake and stop in town to get gas and share stories of seeing large beasts while they were down there. Some of them say they saw massive bears walking around like men. The older of the men asked us if we were familiar with the legend of Sasquatch, and my dad and I both said we were familiar with it and that it was our first guess when we saw the creature. I remember the old man just nodded his head, and went back into the office. Those were the only words he said. It creeped me out. It was as if he was silently confirming our suspicions. The younger man told us one last story about how there are tales that the Sasquatch causes thunderstorms. He summons rain because it somehow affects the patterns that fish appear in or something to that extent, I don't remember the specifics. But he noted that it was interesting that we were telling him the story of what just happened, when a thunderstorm had just picked up. Then I recalled that when I first heard the crack while peeing, the raindrops started to pour down and eventually became a thunderstorm. It gave me chills. After my wound was taken care of, we thanked the men and left the bait shop. My dad ran into the gas station and bought two beers for us. We sat in the parked truck and each drank our beer while wholly shitting every detail of our encounter while nightfall slowly took over for the evening. Then after a good few minutes of speculating and thanking God that everything turned out fine, we got back on the interstate and headed home, rain coming down in sheets. We've told family and friends of our encounter but nobody ever seems to fully understand what we went through on that summer day. How can they? It's a terror that must be felt to be understood. They didn't see what we saw, but that's okay. I wouldn't wish such a sight on my own worst enemy. I guess this experience has taught me two things, as humans, we are only a tiny speck in a world that is beyond our control. We can never truly know everything that is out there, and to those who remain skeptical of anything deemed an imperfection in the history of mankind, I must say, such a stance demands great ignorance. Oh and also, just piss wherever the hell you want. While at an army military police school, my brother-in-law, Craig Miles of Boise, Idaho, met a Vietnam veteran who recalled a low-altitude Special Forces drop in the interior during 1967-68. It was the middle of the night, there were no villages for 15 miles. For a period of three nights, they heard choking and gurgling noises. On the fourth day, they found the upper half of a decomposing Bigfoot-like creature. It had been blown in half by something. Not them. This was apparently not the noise they had heard. A mate possibly? This was the speculation that was circulating. They could see into the body cavity. Spine, lungs, and such. All was crawling with bugs. There was shorter hair on the huge head. The eyes sunk back an inch and a half from the brow line. It had long arms. Very large and long fingers. One hand was still wrapped around a branch. 
He didn't say what color it was but did mention that it had a flat nose. If the creature had its legs, the estimated height was around 8 feet tall. There was no sign of the lower half of the body. They were able to see the teeth. All flat, well-formed molars, except the canines, which were longer and pointed. Seemed adapted to living in the forest with long arms and fingers, or perhaps just builds night nests like gorillas sometimes do. So, recently, my boyfriend of two years has told me a handful of times while I am talking to him, that my face changes. I know this because I'll be in the middle of a sentence and he will look at me very strange like I'm something else? And I will ask him what's wrong. In the past, I've made close friends and usually the people who are more spiritual will notice right away and tell me but they can never describe it. I can remember at least five other individuals who have told me the same thing. Whenever I get close to someone on a more spiritual level, they all see someone else while looking at me in deep conversation or feeling towards each other. One person in particular who spoke Latin and practiced rituals, kicked me out while hanging out because it freaked him out. He called me Lilith and said I'm attached to something more. My boyfriend is not spiritual in any way. But when he's deep in his feels, it happens. Anyone else here like me? Anyone know what this could possibly be about? I am half Mexican, and in recent years, my mother and I have started participating in the Gia de Muertos tradition by creating our ofrenda and hanging photos of relatives who have passed. This morning, my mom asked me what time I came home the night before, and I said it was 11.40 p.m. She mentioned that our security camera reported someone at the door or someone unlocking the door at 3.33 a.m. and showed me the report on the security app. A few minutes later, the report disappeared, as if it had never popped up. My mom is quite spiritual and believes it could be an ancestor visiting our house. I, personally, am skeptical but open to spirituality, so I wanted some input. So me and my family bought our house back in 2000. We were the first to live there and moved in after the house was built. The only explanations we have is that the clothing these ghosts were like early 1900 late 1800 and you'll know why. The first ghost made herself known when I was 12 to 14. I always had trouble sleeping at night and couldn't walk around my house at night as I felt like someone was always watching but I always just thought that was irrational kid thinking. Or so I thought. One night I was laying on my bed not to sleep but on top of my comforter and all. I was just staring out my bedroom door into the hallway, the hallway light and bedroom light was on and being in the second floor, I think I also had on the main entrance light on. Think of a chandelier where the entrance you can see the stairs right away and see a bit upstairs as well. I had no music or anything playing when I hear a little girl's laugh just as all the lights turn off and my door closes shut. I freaked out and started screaming when my mom came out of her room on the first floor thinking I was playing with the lights. She didn't believe my explanation that night but I'll come back to this. The second ghost made himself known in a more creepier way. One night when I was 15 to 16 I woke up at exactly 3.14. 
I felt something tap my shoulder and as I turned to see what it was, a man stood next to my bed. He appeared to be in his late 40s early 50s judging from his white hair and white mustache or beard in what I could only describe as civil war uniform for the confederacy. Only thing was his skin was very pale and his eyes had no pupils. I wanted to scream but he only moved his finger over his lips to signify be quiet or, shh. I laid in my bed frozen with fear as he walked out of my room and closing the door quietly. From that night I kept hearing him match in my upstairs hallway. Now being I was the only one that could account these spirits I always was told I was crazy. Until my brother and mom both told me they noticed the girl. She never did anything harmful except she loves to play with us by hiding things somewhere we know we didn't leave them as well as returning them to where they were originally after we look everywhere. Main things are keys, remotes, and small objects like nail polish or makeup. It's gotten to the point where if we lose something and we know it's not where we left it we just say little girl we need this back or little girl we are in a rush and can't play. She'll normally put it back in its place a bit quicker. The older man was seen by my grandfather and my mom as well. My grandfather just saw him walk in the front door and directly to my parents' room. My mom would see him at night but all he does is tip his hat to her and walks away. One night where she was crying a lot, I believe it was over losing her grandparents or her brother, he sat next to her and put his hand on her shoulder. She said he felt very cold but she felt safe. Not sure if this means anything but I thought it would be cool to share this with you all. Not sure if I really meet the criteria, since I don't dive for work, but I dive wrecks up in the northeast United States and most of our wrecks are real wrecks. I.e., not artificial reefs or purpose sunk wrecks. It's always sort of. Not sure how to put it. Chilling? Eerie? to dive on what is basically a huge disaster site. Some wrecks are pretty much intact, relatively speaking, and others have been flattened out and are just fields of rubble. The war wrecks in particular are pretty interesting to dive on. You can sort of make your way around them and after a while you can start to, or think you can start to, piece together what happened. Oh, here's a massive hole ripped in the hull, big cracks running vertically, Maybe this is where the torpedo impacted. Over here is just corrosion or storm damage from being underwater for decades. Sometimes you'll see personal effects sitting on the outside of the wrecks in the sand, things like boots, musical instruments, that sort of thing. As far as the strangest or creepiest thing I've ever seen, it was actually at the bottom of a quarry. I went into the deepest part of the quarry. I IRC it was around 100, and the bottom appeared to be completely flat, with the occasional pile of goose shit here and there. Getting closer to the bottom, you saw that there were actually what appeared to be tiny worms writhing all over the bottoms, completely blanketing the entire area, like a little boiling sea of worms, everywhere. Sometimes on night dives, you'll get surprised by a curious animal. All of a sudden you look to your right and there's just a big eye, or pair of eyes, staring at you as you shine your light over there, and you get a second or two to see what it is before it darts away, typically squid, less often fish. I guess my last one was one time I was diving in the vicinity of where a company was testing underwater drones, and sometimes you can hear them in the water with you.
I need some outside perspective to make sense of this because I am at a loss. I can't quite remember how old I was, maybe five-ish? I have this super vivid memory, and I can't quite make sense of it. My mom just brought it up tonight, and it was crazy hearing it from her perspective. One night when I was around five, we had some family friends come over with their kids. We had an underground room beneath the house that was like a basement or spare bedroom area. All of us kids loved playing in the downstairs room. That night, we built a fort with some mattresses and blankets. The family friends went home later that night, and I remember my mom tucking me into bed. We had a whole goodnight routine for all of my teddies so they didn't feel left out. I fell asleep in my bed. I woke up later in the night because I felt cold. I was in the blanket fort, in the downstairs room. I bolted awake, I was so scared of the dark and was so confused as to how I got there. The downstairs room had a bit of an eerie vibe on a good day, and this night it was so dark and cold. I felt like I was being watched and closed in on, like the same panic you get when you run up the stairs quickly at night. I bolted out of the downstairs room, up to the ground level, where the backyard was, and then up the back stairs to the back door. I was sobbing, screaming, and pounding at the back door. I woke my whole house up, my parents and sister. My parents rushed to the door to unlock it. They double-checked the door and windows, and everything was closed and locked. Everything locks from the inside. My mom brought it up tonight, and we've talked about it before a bit in the past. But I asked her what she remembered. She put my sister and me into bed, she said she woke up to me banging on the back door and screaming. My parents got me inside and tucked me in again after a lot of comfort and snuggles. My mom said she was sure she tucked me into bed and that she has no idea how or why I got outside when the whole house was locked. Also, I would never do that as a five-year-old. The house we were living in at the time had a bit of spiritual presence, real weird unexplainable things that have happened but nothing scary or malicious, just making themselves known or residual hauntings. It's only happened once or so each time, but we had unexplainable and very clear footsteps, knocking, full-body apparitions, and other weird things happen. I did sleepwalk a bit as a child, maybe an explanation? But also, how did I get out of the house when all the doors and windows were locked and could only be locked from the inside? There is no way I had the cognitive ability to lock up after myself or have a house key and the windows locked from the inside at five years old. For my own sanity, I've been trying to make sense of this because the alternative is a real kick in the pants. I'm thinking more of a paranormal experience. Which is ah uh, and also ook. So my question for you is. What the heck happened, how could I have gotten out of the house and ended up in the mattress fort we had built in the downstairs room? Do you have other theories or questions as to what happened to me? Please help. I was a keen sailor. Once I was out snorkeling in the Sundays, Having a blast checking out Nemo and all his mates. Just floating about, in the zone as it were. Well, that zone was rudely interrupted when I suddenly realized I was surrounded by a swarm of jellyfish. All around me, out of the blue, what the F, Australia? Naturally I freaked out, but some sort of survival instinct kicked in, 
Otherwise I probably would have drowned myself in a flumux. I just gently, carefully, floated the F out of there and then sped back to the boat. Honestly, it was rather horrific, even if it doesn't sound that bad. One time when I was in middle school my dad had a boat and we were going out to deep sea fish in the waters between Mexico and California. We saw about three aircraft carriers and a couple other ships all surrounding this area of about 5 miles. We didn't know what it was but we continued to go out to fish and then a couple hours later we heard the loudest boom I've ever heard in my life. We looked around and spotted an aircraft carrier and my first thought was that they were firing a missile at us lol. Then while we were heading back to the docks we started to see TVs, dressers, and other random things floating in the water. We actually caught an El Dorado hiding under the dresser too. Ha ha but anyways we found out it was when the US captured one of the biggest drug cartel leaders and the coast guard and military was bringing him to the US on boat and then an aircraft carrier blew the drug cartel leaders boat up when we heard the loud boom. Which explains everything once we found that out. But that was the creepiest thing I have seen out there. We went sailing in the British Virgin Islands for a vacation when I was 16 with another family, two sets of parents, myself, and their 13-year-old, for 10 days on a 30-ish foot sailboat, I can't remember, it felt small. I am terrified of swimming in water where I can't see the bottom, but there it was crystal clear. It was halfway through our trip and we went to visit and snorkel the wreck of the Rhone which looked just under the water from the surface but was actually pretty far down. The water started to get too choppy for my taste, and seeing the scuba divers and huge tarpon fish, harmless, was making me uneasy, so I told everyone I was going back to the boat, they all decided to follow to our mooring. When I got close to the boat I noticed something under the boat. The keel part of the boat has always scared me for some reason too, so I try to avoid looking at it. As I get closer, the rest of the crew following me, I realize it is a 5 Barracuda. This thing is nasty and just hanging under the keel like it wasn't moving. Of course I knew they were dangerous but I also had on jewelry, a belly ring, 90s, and a shiny gold swimming suit. I stopped dead, everyone else gathers behind me, and a few of us surfaced to decide how we will approach the ladder of the boat while the rest watch said fish for movement. Being that I had tons of adrenaline and was a competition swimmer, I offered myself up first. I swam the fastest I've ever swam and pulled myself up as fast as I could, looking it directly in the eye until I surfaced. The rest of the crew, not quite as nimble as I am, I'm pretty sure there was some rum involved, hung back. The fish didn't move so one by one they frantically swam to get on the boat. That fish did not get to taste any of our crowd. It didn't stop there. The water started to get even more choppy. I had on a motion sickness patch because I had never been on a sailboat so long so I was okay, but suddenly tropical storm warnings start to come across the radio as a giant grey cloud closes in. It went from a beautiful tropical day to hell within 15 minutes. We scrambled inside, life vests, radioing as they rushed to take down the sails. Suddenly a gust of wind took the main sail and almost dipped the entire boat sideways, the mast was within feet of the water. 
My decision to swim back to the boat early, barracuda and all, proved to have been almost intuitive. For the next few hours there was zero visibility in the scariest moments of my young life. We were no longer moored so they just took down the sails, faced the bow into the wind and basically motored in place. We couldn't see the islands, any other ships, just pelting rain and the boom of the hull hitting trough of each wave. They had to take turns steering because it was blinding and disorienting, and took turns riding out the storm inside. I don't remember how high they said the waves were, but I remember feeling a sense of imminent death. When I'm afraid, I mean petrified, I shut down and everything happens in slow-mo. With each wave it felt like the boat went flying up into the air on the crest, then a moment of flying feeling, then crashing down so hard that I was sure the hull of the boat was going to split open. This went on for hours. So, to paint the picture, I am just sitting at the table holding on for dear life and dodging falling unsecured items in my life jacket. The 13-year-old is screaming and crying we are going to die over and over in different ways. My mother has her head in the garbage can and is holding on trying to throw up, until finally her fear kicks in and things start coming out of both ends every time she heaves, then I'm consoling her that it's okay. The three others are coming in and out for breaks, each time we can see that it looks more and more like a hurricane outside. Eventually I find my composure, yell at the girl to shut the f up because she isn't helping anyone, and move some towels under and around my mom and try to help her clean up while she cried, which she was trying desperately to console me but was too seasick to get a word in. But she knew I was emotionally mature enough to do the best I could to take charge. It felt like hours of near death, up and down, silence then crash, flying then feeling the boat would crack over and over while everyone else is screaming at each other. Finally, hours later, it just stops. Dead calm. We see we are approaching an island, Virgin Gorda or Peter Island, I can't remember, and as if nothing happened we pull up into the marina on a calm and quiet sea. None of us talk really until our feet hit the dock, except my mother, whom I helped shower off and clean up. We cheered, hugged, laughed, I finally cried and we walked ashore to get the F away from that boat for a while. We found a gorgeous bath facility attached to the marina and showered and basked in light of being alive. We asked what is the nicest restaurant here? And were directed to this small quaint place right on the water. We ate and drank, I was legal there, ordered giant plates of delicacies, and just laughed in wonder about how happy we were to be alive, no crashing into anyone or an island, drifting, running out of fuel, boat breaking in half, being swept away or drowning. We were happy to be alive, though I haven't been on a single hull sailboat since, I prefer catamaran style now I guess.